0: Uh, The good news is that uh, you do not need your hats, you do not need your sunglasses, you don't need your hiking gear, suntan lotion, you just get to sit here in some air conditioning this morning. Uh, You can see a picture here on this next one is our group that was hiking uh, through the land and that's normally where we would be if we were hiking through Israel but not you this morning. You get to sit here very comfortably and we're gonna try to bring some of the land to you this morning. And where we're going this morning is perhaps one of the most iconic and famous places in all of Israel. It is the Sea of Galilee. You can see on the map here that the Sea of Galilee is in the northwest uh, uh, part of Israel. The Sea of Galilee is really a lake. The Sea of Galilee, uh, why they call it a sea, uh, is probably because it's in an arid region, and uh, people come out there and they see that large body of water. And you can see these images of the, of the lake here and what it actually looks like. It's the imagination uh, they, for they, they, a believer.. Look at, look at this body of water. It's a harp-shaped lake. and it's really not all that big. It is uh, six miles across. It is only eight miles long. That's the Sea of Galilee. It is 650 feet below sea level. So it is the uh, lowest freshwater uh, lake in the world. There's only one lake that's deeper and that would be the Dead Sea, but that's not a freshwater lake. This lake is filled with fish, so we get a lot of talk about fishing and fishermen and on the shores of this lake. Uh, it's surprising when you stand on these rocky shores that you can see around the lake, pretty much all the way around, which explains why often where Jesus had around in a boat, the crowd ran around and caught up with him because they could see where he landed. And it was on these shores that we get most of our uh, stories that we we talk about in the in the Bible where we We have Bethsaida, where the disciples came from. We have Capernaum, which is Jesus' hometown. We have the hill, where Jesus taught the Beatitudes. We have Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from. We have the plains of Bethsaida, where Jesus fed the 5,000. We go across the lake, and we're at the site of the Gerasenes, where Jesus uh, healed the demoniac, and uh, that's the place where the Hellenistic culture was at, that was at battle with Jesus. And so the Sea of Galilee was kind of like a center point for Jesus and Jesus' ministry. And it was here that Jesus often would teach his disciples give his, uh, about his authority and also would teach the disciples about who he was and what he came to be. And so our Bible reading today is from John chapter 6, which is one of those stories about Jesus as he was around the Sea of Galilee. John 6 verses um, 16 through 20. John tells us when evening came, the disciples went down to the lake and got into their boat and headed across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. They got into their boat, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waves were growing rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then... They were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be 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 to God. John 6-1, if you have your Bibles open, you can see that it says, sometime after this Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee this is where the story takes place where the red star is at the far shore of the sea of Galilee the plains of Bethsaida because in chapter six there we see that the event that precedes this is the feeding of the five thousand and the disciples were told here in this account to go to Capernaum that's where they're heading and so they start at the far shore in the plains of Bethsaida after the feeding of the five thousand Jesus goes up into the mountains, which would be the Golan Heights today, and he goes up into the mountains and the disciples get in their boat. Mark chapter, I wanna get this right, Mark six, says that Jesus compelled them to get into the boat. He compelled them to get into the boat. Why? Well, remember the fury that was going on after Jesus fed the 5,000? It says in verse 15 that the crowd wanted to come by force and make him king. And so perhaps Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, I'm going up here. I got some business to do with God. But you guys got to get out of here. I don't want you to get caught up in this euphoria. I don't want you to get caught up in what the crowd is, is about because that's not what the kingdom is about. So you get in the boat. You head back to Capernaum. And so they're getting in the boat, and they're going back across the lake to Capernaum. You can see that it's not the widest part of the lake. So this is probably simply a, uh, about a three-mile journey as they go across the lake in the boat. For good fishermen, this probably should take them maybe about two hours as they row themselves back across the lake to Capernaum. So they get into the boat and just a word about the boat. In 1986 there was a very remarkable archaeological discovery. They found what is called the Jesus boat. In 1986, the waters of the Sea of Galilee receded, and the waters went down. And there in the mud of the Sea of Galilee, they found this hull, this skull of a boat. And it was from the first century. This boat would have been in the water at the exact same time Jesus and the disciples were in the water. They found that this boat was mainly made from cedar wood, although they found out 10 other types of wood in this boat, which indicates that maybe there was a a wood shortage, or maybe they used scraps of wood to repair it. But nonetheless, they found this wood boat there down in the Sea of Galilee. As they reconstructed the boat, which you can see in this picture, they reconstructed the boat. It It would have sailed with a square sail. That's what the Galilean boats had. There would have been a crew of four who were at the oars that rowed the boat, four of them, and the boat could then accommodate another crowd of about 10 or 11. There was room for a cushion in the front, which we know in some of our stories, right? Jesus slept on the cushion. And then also, uh, what we would find is that the sides of the boat were very low. Why? Because they were fishermen, and they had to throw their nets over the side of the boat. But if you're caught up in waves, having a short edge is not a good deal. That's pretty threatening. And so the disciples got into a boat like this, got into the Sea of Galilee to head across the lake to Capernaum. And then our Bible tells us that it was dark. It's beginning nighttime, and this was not a big deal. They were fishermen. They knew the lake. They could go across this edge and get, to the, get back where they needed to go, but Jesus had not yet joined them. I think that's a detail to, to think about in our lives when we go on journeys, right? That's significant. Jesus had not yet joined them. How many of us are on a journey? How many of us just take off? We. Oh, here's my, this, this new job, this new relationship, this new career, this, this place, wherever you're heading, wherever you think you're going, and you really never stopped to make sure Jesus was in the boat with you. You just took off without him. I think that can happen in our lives sometimes. And for the disciples, what we'll see is what that led for in their life was a whole lot of fear because they were making this trip. Without Jesus, they got into the boat, and a strong wind was blowing. It says, and the waves, waters grew rough. Again, the scriptures are rooted in geography. The scriptures are rooted in the land, and they're rooted in the people and the place where they're written. And what we see is this element, this element that that just is one little sentence come to life when you're in the land. Because the Sea of Galilee, as I said, it's 650 feet below sea level, and it is surrounded by mountains. You can see on this topographical map that it is surrounded by mountains. It's got the Golan Heights around it. It's got other mountains the, from 1,400 feet to 2,500 feet. And there it is. It's like a little cup-like depression in the land. And what uh, you can see here is a live picture, well, it's not live. It's uh, just a photo, but it was taken at one time when I was alive. Uh, So it was kind of a live picture. Uh, So there's a picture of the Sea of Galilee, which you can see down uh, down in the bottom there with the mountains going around it. And what happens at this time is often when the cool air at night comes and it comes over the mountains, it drops down into the lake. And you can see on this picture here, what I'm talking about is it says that cold air comes over the mountains, drops down into the lake, while the hot air of the lake begins to rise. Those two hit each other and we got a storm. We got a sudden storm. You're out on the lake and everything is looking hunky-dory and then boom, just like that, a storm comes. And we read about that a lot in scriptures and we have that here. This one came at night. A sudden storm comes on the Sea of Galilee. It's known for frequent storms, and on this day, and in this event, the disciples are caught up in this storm. And so it says now, when they had rowed three or four miles, you would think they would have made it back by now. As I said, it was only a short three-mile trip, but they've been rowing since it was dark, Matthew tells us in his account of this story that it was now the fourth watch of the night, which would put it between 3 and 6 a.m. So if they started rowing in the early evening till 3 or 6 a.m., they'd been out there for eight hours or more, rowing this boat against the wind, against the waves, trying to make headway to get to Capernaum. And by this time, they now have, have it says, they've rowed for three or four miles. They've drifted down to the center of the lake, still fighting the wind, still fighting the waves, probably tired, probably exhausted, trying to get themselves across the lake. They've been doing it all night long. And at that point, it says when they had rowed three or four miles, middle of the lake, it's a storm, it's wind, it's waves, it's dark, you're tired, you're exhausted, you don't think you're going to get where you need to go, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. And it says, walking on on water. Hold on to that detail. And it says, they were frightened. Walking on water, they were frightened. Why would they be frightened? Because here they are, out on the waters, and in the the mindset of the ancients is the mindset of the first century people, it's far different than ours. Alright, let's just be honest. They were flat earthers. Right? Flat earthers. You had land and you had water. That was how they understood the cosmology. God lived above in the heavens above, but in the waters below, it was the abyss. It was the place of evil. It was the place of chaos. That's what the waters were. They had no idea how far down it went. They just thought it kept going down and down. It was a chaotic abyss. And if you drowned, you did not go to heaven because you were lost into the abyss forever. Remember in our study of Revelation, Revelation 13 says that this is where the Leviathan lived. All right, the ancient, the Antichrist was shown as a beast coming from the chaotic seas. They did not like the waters. Most, most, uh, most first century people, and even today those who live in the Middle East there, are not real good swimmers or do they like to swim at all because this is still in the thinking that waters are not their friend. It is a place of chaos. And beyond that, they believe that in these waters are where the gods battled it out. So you had Yam and Murdoch and Baal. And they're going to battle with one another for supremacy. And where do they fight? They fight in the waters. And when they fight in the waters, what is stirred up? The winds and the waves. And so here is this battle going on in the water of the uh first century they don't like it but we do right we tend to like water here's a picture of our group when we were in israel we climbed to the top because we wanted to see the water we not only climbed to the top of the water we got a chance to to go down and and meditate near the water uh we talked about uh what does it mean where this is where jesus called his disciples to be fishers of men and. I asked everybody to find a stone to bring home with them, to remind them of that call. And so we spent some time reflecting around the water in these kind of passages. We also got uh, a chance to go out on the water. We took a boat out on the water, and for many that was just one of the great days. We got to to set sail on the water. We got to worship on the boat. We also got to tell some of these stories on the boat uh, as we remembered. The water. We love being out on the water and of course as a group after a hot day, we got to swim in the water as well on the Sea of Galilee. It was a great refreshing time after being out in a 95 degree day to come back and and swim in a 90 degree lake. It was very, very (laughs) refreshing to be in the lake. We love water, but, but can you see the contrast? They don't love water. They're scared of water. They're frightened of water. Everything evil is found in the water and in the wind and in the waves. And so when they see a figure coming across the water, they got frightened. They got scared. The word that Matthew uses is phantasma, phantom. They thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a a specter. They thought it was somebody coming to grab them, to take them, and perhaps pull them under into the depths and into the abyss, and they're frightened. They're frightened. Can you, see this? Can you see the disciples out there now? In that boat, the dark, the wind, the waves, their mind thinking, this is it for me, I'm going to go down to the depths of, of, of hell. And then they see a being coming, walking across the water, coming, you begin to experience what the disciples were experiencing. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus says to them, in Greek, Ego Ami, I am. We've heard that before, haven't we? Actually, the last seven weeks we've heard that. This is the, the precursor to all those I am statements in the book of John. Jesus says, I am. In the middle of their chaos, in the middle of their storm, in the middle of their worries, in the middle of their fears, they hear the voice cut through all of that and say, I am. And immediately, they would have known in their minds those two words mean God. Because when did they first make their appearance in the Scriptures? The burning bush. Remember, Moses is there standing in front of the burning bush, and he says, who are you? And the voice says, I am. This is the voice of God. And when they say, I am, the disciples' minds would have went back to Genesis 2, verse 1, because in the very beginning, it was the waters across the earth, the chaos across the earth. And where was the Spirit of God? God above the waters and here in this picture the i am is above the waters the god above all gods their minds would have went to the book of job in the book of job job says says it is the god who treads on the waves their minds would have connected those dots and so there in the midst of everything they have going on is i am and he says two more words in the Greek: "May fabel, no fear." That's the exact translation. Our Bibles say, "It is I do not be afraid," but the exact translation is, "I am no fear." I like that. I am no fear. You're caught in the wind, you're caught in the waves, you're caught in your fear, you're caught in your worry. I am no fear. Maybe some of us need to hear that this morning. Because doesn't life do that to us sometimes, where we set sail and everything is going smooth? We just got life and we get in the boat and we're out there and we're just cruising across the a sunny, a smooth waters and then all of a sudden, boom, a storm hits just like that from out of the blue. We get that health report, oh, we get that financial news, oh, that relationship goes sour, oh. Something grips us emotionally and we're filled with anxiety. Just like that, all of a sudden that storm hits in our lives and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, that's me. My boat right now is caught in the wind, it's caught in the waves. It's caught in the middle of a storm. And I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm full of fear and and I don't know how it's going to turn out and I don't know which way to turn it. I don't know which way to grow. And frankly, Pastor, I'm tired. I'm tired. I've been battling it for so long. You know what you need to hear? I am no fear. That's what you need to hear this morning. And not only do you need to hear it, You need to to believe it and trust it because it wasn't enough that the disciples saw Jesus and they heard Jesus, but the Scriptures tell us then they were willing to take Him into the boat. When they knew it was God, when they knew it was God who was the God above all gods, who was the creator standing above his creation, when it was the God who stood in the fire with with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it was the God who pushed aside the waters of the Red Sea, when it was God who led his people out of Egypt, when it was their God standing right there who had the power in his hands to deliver them, they said, we trust you put all our trust in you, and come into the boat. Come into the boat. And when they came into the boat, notice the next word, immediately, immediately. That's that's often the way the ancients described a miracle happening. Immediately, it says, they reached the shore of where they were heading. Now, right, did the boat just go? I don't know. Uh, Maybe immediately it's like, we were out there for 10 hours rowing the boat, but once we got Jesus in the boat, immediately, a half hour, we were back. Immediately we were back. I don't know. John doesn't seem to suggest anything like that. He just says, immediately the boat was back on the shore. I would have liked to have been in that boat. But I don't think the point is how it happened. That's not the point. The point is, Jesus got into the boat. What happened to the wind and the waves? They're gone. Immediately, they got to their destination. Immediately, they moved from fear to peace. We no longer hear about that storm. We no longer hear about the fright because they had Jesus in the boat with them. And friends, that's what I want to invite you to this morning, to bring Jesus into that boat of that fear that you're dealing with this morning that issue that you're dealing with, that hurt you're dealing with, that pain, that worry, whatever you're dealing with as you are sailing through life and you feel like those winds and waves are coming at you, bring Jesus into the boat. And trust him. Because this scripture teaches us that it is Jesus who can bring that peace. It is Jesus who has the very power of God to deal with whatever you're dealing with in this day. It was the psalmist who asked this question. It says right here he says um I lost it. He says Psalm 27:1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble?" The answer is, I don't, because I know who's in charge, that we serve the God who is above all gods. And Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, let's trust him and invite him into the boats of our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God, we thank you for this beautiful story that is captured here for us. And we ask that as we, we sit here on the shore on this day, that, that we look at that calm waters. And God, we know that that's what you can bring into our lives. And so we ask God that we would have our faith to invite you in into our boat. God, we ask that today. I want to pray for those that are struggling through these storms, struggling with their the winds and the waves of their life right now, God, and sometimes we can be overwhelmed with them. And would they hear that voice this morning whisper in their ear and just say, I am. May they be still and know that you are God and that nothing, nothing will ever separate them from the love that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray.